We're in Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Let me encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, to get one of our pew Bibles there in front of you. We like to uh, be in the Word together, and we're going to uh, dig into a few verses this morning. We started a new series a few weeks ago called Reviving the Mission. And we've been talking about what it looks like to be an effective church. You know, churches meet all around on Sunday mornings. We, there are many, many churches, but not every church is effective. And what we mean by effective is doing the work that God has called us to do. We talked about uh, last week and even in previous weeks how effective doesn't necessarily mean the, the biggest building or the biggest attendance or, or anything like that, that from a human perspective that we would look at, but effective means being faithful to what God has called us to do. And so this morning we are continuing that. We talked about uh, effective churches are missional churches, that we keep our eyes on the mission before us. Effective churches are praying churches that we want to be praying and, and asking God to move within, and not just praying one time, continual corporate prayer that God would work among us. And then last week we saw that effective churches are faithful churches. We're faithful to uh, hold on to our relationship with God and, and grow in, in the Lord. We're faithful uh, to uh, gather together. We're faithful to hold on to our confession, all of those kind of things. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a different part of what it means to be effective in Colossians chapter 4. Now, we're jumping in the middle of a letter here, and let me just tell you kind of a bird's eye view of this letter. Uh, there was a heretical teaching that was going on at the church that this letter was written to, and, and Paul uh, and Timothy were writing to help correct some of that heresy, but also as part of their writing, they wanted to make it clear what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you go back to Colossians chapter 3 and read that, you'll find some very challenging teaching on what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing as Christians. Uh, some very challenging stuff, but then that, that thought continues on into chapter 4. And I want to begin at verse 2, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, and we're going to go down through verse 6 this morning. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for us, to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Father, as we look to your word this morning, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, our minds to your truth. Move through us with your spirit. Lord, help us to be convicted where we need to be. Help us to, to be corrected where we need to be. Lord, we want to be an effective church. We want to be effective people for you. And so help us to see what we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, as many of you know, was the anniversary of September 11th. And I know many of us uh, were uh, watching our TVs on that day that that happened, September 11th, 2001. And I reflected on that this past week. I watched a couple of documentaries on 9-11. And 
Uh, one in particular was from the uh, perspective of President Bush and the things that he uh, thought that day and was going through that day. But, you know, as I reflected on, uh, you know, I was a teenager when that happened. And seeing that happen on the news, we, we pulled it up that morning at school and we watched it the rest of the day. And I remember some emotions and thoughts that I had that probably many of you had. Uh, maybe even more so because I was a teenager and you all were, some of you all were adults at that time, right? And so thinking through, like not fully understanding as a teenager what happened and what, what it was like. I remember watching at first thinking uh, that the World Trade Center was on fire and I thought that's kind of a, a weird thing for that to happen. But then it slowly sank in what was going on. And I remember just in some ways um, some worry, some fear uh, that even came over me as a teenager of why would this happen, what's going to happen next. And then I remember seeing the concern that everybody had. You know, concern began with the first responders there uh, rushing into uh, the building and, and trying to save as many people as they could, but concern continued in the days following. You know, we saw so many people reaching out to help we saw uh, churches gathering together for prayer. Uh, everywhere you looked, there was an American flag on a building or on, uh, on a car or, or just everywhere, right? People were concerned about what had happened and what could happen in our country uh, because of these things. And here's the truth. When we have concern for a situation or for a group of people, if we truly have concern, we're going to do anything within our power to help those people. Let me say that again. When we have concern, true concern, we're going to do anything we can within our power to help those people. And as you think about the world today, there are tons of problems within the world today that should cause concern. Tons of problems that people should be concerned about. But there is no greater problem of no greater concern than that of lostness. And what I mean by that, of course, is people who don't know Jesus. That is the greatest problem of greatest concern in the whole world. Because let me give you some statistics. There is a 100% certainty, 100% certainty that every person will die. Unless Jesus returns first, there is a 100% certainty that every person on this planet will die. There is a 100% certainty that every single person will stand before God one day. That's 100% certainty. And there is 100% certainty that every person who stands before God who doesn't know him will be condemned to hell forever. That is a 100% certainty. Those are factual truths. However, let me give you another statistic. The Bible says that there is also 100% certainty that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a 100% certainty. We have this good news, and because of these facts, because of these statistics, people need to know, and they need us to tell them. They need us to give them this information. They need us to give them the gospel. And so this morning, we're talking about how effective churches are concerned church, are a concerned church. An effective church is a concerned church. Now, let me ask you this morning, as you think about those statistics that we know to be true, that we don't like to think about too often, let me ask you personally, are you concerned? 
Are you concerned for the people you know who do not know Jesus? Are you concerned for the people you know who if they were to die today, they would spend eternity in hell? One of the reasons Paul and Timothy wrote the church here was that, especially in this section, they wanted the church to have concern for unbelievers. And we're going to look at a few ways uh, within these few verses here that an effective church shows they have concern for unbelievers. And I want to begin by looking at what he says in verse 2. He gives the command to devote yourselves to prayer. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Now that word devote literally means to commit. Some of your translations you may be reading out of this morning may say commit yourselves to prayer. And we've seen the importance of prayer in our own lives and in our church. And a few weeks ago, uh, we spent uh, a whole sermon talking about the, the importance of prayer. But I want to not just focus on the importance of prayer, but I want you to look at what they're praying for, what they're being commanded to pray for. Now, before we look at it, let me just say that there are, you know, let, let's just imagine for a second that you got to a chance to spend a day with someone. There are certain actions that that person, if they did do or didn't do, that, that would tell you a lot about them if you're just trying to get to know them. For instance, um, I think generally speaking, you could say uh, how someone's dressed can tell you a lot about the person. You know, if they decide to dress up or dress down or maybe they're wearing their favorite sports team or something like that, that can tell you a lot about a person's interests. Maybe it could tell you about the, the career they have the job uh, that they do throughout the week, those kind of things. The kind of car someone drives can often tell us about them, right? Uh, if they have, you know, a huge truck, that might tell us, man, they must do some kind of like construction work or, you know, farm work, something like that. You know, different things can tell us those things, how they spend their time, how they spend their money. But let me just say this. If you were to follow a Christian around and you wanted to know more about what they were concerned with, what they cared about, I think if that person prayed and what they prayed about are two areas that would tell you what their greatest concerns are in life. If they actually prayed and if they did pray, what they were praying for. I want you to think about your own life. Are you a praying person? And if so, what do you pray for? Look at what Paul told them to pray for here. He says, at the same time, this is verse 3, at the same time, Pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Now think about what that reveals about Paul and Timothy. You know, for Paul, he is in chains for telling people about Jesus. He was in prison for telling people about Jesus. And he was asking the church here, pray that I can tell more people about Jesus. Pray that I can do this even more, even with my situation where I'm already in jail. Pray, pray that God will help me to be able to share this. And as this was being told to them, here's the thing. They had a decision to make if they were going to help Paul and Timothy in this way. They had a decision to make for if they were actually, are they actually going to pray for this or not? And I think their decision, whether they did this or didn't do this, would reveal a lot about if they truly had concern for the lost. Because here's the fact. If we are going to be a concerned church, concerned for the lost, 
what we pray matters. What we pray matters. If you're taking notes this morning, write down, what we pray matters. Now think about what you pray for. Hopefully you pray regularly, but chances are, because you know I've been in church my whole life, there are some times that we all get in a rut with prayer. Chances are that at some point in time in your life, maybe right now, you get in a prayer rut. And what, what I mean by that is your prayers become very predictable. You know, we, we pray for the most common things. And let me say, some of those things may include health or safety, healing, guidance or wisdom in our lives. And there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. In fact, we're instructed in the Bible for praying, uh, about praying for these things. And we know the reason that we pray these things is because God answers the prayers of his people. And so we're, we're constantly praying for the things we're concerned about, right? Well, what might happen if you began to pray for someone by name who doesn't know Jesus? If you really believe that God answers prayer and he hears the prayers of his people, and if you really believe that you pray about what you're concerned about, what might happen if you began to pray for that person that you know who doesn't know Jesus? And you said, I'm going to pray for them every day. Or I'm going to pray for them every week until they came to know Christ. But even more so, what might happen if you began to pray that God would use you to be able to share with them about Christ? You know, you think about what Paul was asking for here. He was in chains. He was saying, please pray for me that even with this situation that I could speak with boldness and I could somehow find a way to share with people the gospel message. That's what I've been called to do. Listen, we've been all, we've all been called uh, to share the gospel message. And so what would happen if you prayed, God, please help me have a chance to speak that message? I sometimes wonder if we don't pray that because we're afraid God might answer that prayer and that we might actually have to speak and say something for the Lord. You know, if we want to impact the lost, showing our concern for them, we have to begin by praying for them and praying for us to be able to impact them. Because again, there's a 100% chance they're going to stand before the Lord and we have the good news. What we pray matters. But Paul moves on here in his letter to speak about not only the importance of praying for the lost, but another way we show concern. Look at verse 5. He says, Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Act wisely, he says. In other words, he's saying, be careful how you live. Be smart about it. Now, when I read this, the first thing I thought about was when my parents would always give me some kind of a lecture before we went somewhere to like, you know, say a friend's house or to church or, or wherever, and they would say, now you, you know how to act. You know how to behave. You need to be smart about what you do. You know, don't, don't be doing dumb things, you know. And I could almost hear my, my dad and my mom saying things like that. And this is kind of what Paul's saying here. He's saying, you are a Christian. You know how to behave. And, and he, if they didn't, he just went over it in the previous chapter. And he was saying, now you need to be smart and how you live. You need to be acting wisely, particularly not just among one another. Who does he say we need to be acting wisely toward? Look at what he says. Act wisely toward outsiders. 
In other words, people who are unbelievers, we have to be smart about how we live. We have to be smart about our actions. So I was looking in, uh, through this passage this week and thinking about these things. I found an article this week that actually happened several years ago about a Christian who didn't want to leave a tip for their waitress, or at least they weren't happy with how much people normally tip. You know, normally tips are like 18 to 20 percent, something like that. And so this person decided to write on their, their uh, check, their receipt, I only give God 10 percent, why do I have to give you 18? And of course, you know, obviously with that statement, this person knew that, that this other, the, the waitress knew this person was a Christian. And that was harmful in and of itself, right? But then the waitress took a picture of the receipt and posted it online. And of course it went viral. And everybody was talking about it. And tons of people chimed in about why Christians are so awful and how they're some of the worst people they know and, and all of these things. And so this one action who, of, who this lady, uh, that this lady did, of course, damaged that waitress probably and what she thought about Christians, what she thought about God. But then it continued to spread after that and did greater damage and greater damage. And as I was thinking about that, there are certain things in life that we may do just even as joking even as something that we think is no big deal, that if you stop and slow down and think about what your witness may be saying to someone else, we have to realize that the way we act sometimes as Christians is not very wise. The way we act toward unbelievers sometimes is not very wise. I think sometimes just as damaging, we can sometimes as Christians take on the attitude of being super judgmental of people. And thinking that we're better than everybody else and completely forgetting where we came from before we knew Christ. We have to remember our testimony. We have to remember what Jesus did for us. And we have to remember that unbelievers are going to live like unbelievers. Right? Unless they know the gospel, they're going to live like unbelievers. They need to hear the gospel. They need to hear about sin. They need to hear about God's love and all those things. But listen, we've got to take the gospel to people instead of our first response just being condemning people. We have to remember that new believers, new Christians, are not going to know everything that they, we think they should know about following Jesus. We have to live in a way toward people that is wise. We have to help them and want to point them to Jesus. That's what being concerned is all about. And so in thinking about our concern, what we pray matters, of course, but let's go one step further here. What we do matters. What we do matters. How we live in front of people, all that stuff matters. Think about this. You know, so oftentimes in Christianity, we make sure that we're living right on Sunday, but let me tell you, Monday through Saturday, what you do matters, and it matters in an even greater way because you're, you are presenting yourself as a Christian before a lost and dying world. What you do matters. How you live matters. And so let me kind of pose a question to you. If you call yourself a Christian, if all someone knew about Jesus was through watching you, what kind of impression would they have of Jesus? If all they knew of Jesus, if they had never read a Bible, if they had never gone to church, 
If all they knew about Jesus was that you are a Christian and you say you follow Jesus, what would they think Jesus was like? Would they have a good impression of him? Would they have a right impression of him? Or would it be one that, honestly, that we would kind of be embarrassed because as we think about how we're acting, maybe it's not in such a wise way. We have to live in a way that's wise. And not only that, look at the end of verse 5, what he says. Making the most of the time. Here's the reality. We only get so much time to impact people. And for some of us, like as we think about our lives, we think, well, I get, let's say, 80 years or 90 years or 100 years to impact people. Well, that might be true if we live long lives. But listen, you don't know how long you might be in your place of work right now. God may move you to a place of work, and you might have six months, a year left with the people that you work with to impact them for the kingdom of God. You know, the time with our kids, I think about it, it's so limited. You know, I think about even now, my kids are growing up, my oldest is 10. You know, you only get a certain amount of years with your kids at home to impact them for the kingdom. You only get a certain amount of time that you get to spend with your grandkids to impact them for the kingdom. You only get a certain amount of time uh, to be, a certain amount of hours in the day to be around friends or, or family members, to impact them for the kingdom. And so anytime we're around people, we have to make the most of your time. Don't waste your time. Live with concern for the lost. So as we think about what it looks like to live with concern, obviously what we pray matters, what we do matters, but there's one more area Paul touches on in verse 6. Look at what he says in verse 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So this one's obvious here. What we say matters. What we say matters. And of course, we're not just talking about clean, wholesome speech. We are talking about that uh, as part of it, you know, and he addresses that back in in chapter 3. But we're talking about more than just not saying bad words. We're talking about what we should say, the proactive type of speech. Look at what he says. Let it be gracious and, this is interesting, seasoned with salt. It makes me think back to, remember the passage where Jesus talked about being the light of the world? Just before that, he says, you are the salt of the earth. And so it kind of has the same idea here. Now, when you think about salt and comparing it with our speech, we've all had uh, one of three, you've probably had all three of these, but obviously you can't have them at the same time, interactions with salt. Either you have too little salt, too much salt, or just the right amount of salt. Now, as you think about what you want to eat for lunch, I'm going to start hearing your all's uh, bellies rumble in just a second. But as you think about what you eat for lunch, what you're wanting today, if it takes salt, you know that if you have too little salt, that's one type of experience. If you have too much, that's a different type of experience. And you had just right, it's it's totally, totally different, like this. If you have too much salt, it burns your tongue, it's very off putting. And you're like, okay, one bite is enough of that. That's way too much salt. If you have too little salt, you think, well, that, that doesn't taste very good. It's pretty bland, dull. You know, I, I don't 
I'm not really necessarily into that dish. But if you have just the right amount of salt, man, it tastes so good, right? You want more? And you go back for thirds and fourths, fifths sometimes, right? That's how it is. Now, when you think about our speech being gracious and seasoned with salt, here's the thing. I think sometimes as Christians, we can be over the top and in your face and like, like way too much salt, if you get what I'm saying, when it comes to speaking to people. And it's very off-putting. It's very, um, you know, we, we can uh, portray ourselves as being holier and better than everyone else, and, and that's kind of a, not a very wise portrayal. At the same time, if we don't say anything about God, that's like no salt, right? And that's not going to do any good either. But we've got to find that right balance. As the Bible describes Jesus, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And we've got to find that right balance to be able to speak to people and share with them. Tell them what God has done for them. Tell them the fact that, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we live in a broken world. But Jesus never sinned. Jesus died on the cross for us. Jesus came back to life for us. One day he's coming again. We're all going to stand before the Lord. And unless you repent and trust him alone, you will spend eternity in hell. But if you do repent and trust in Jesus, you can have eternal life. You can know God in a personal way. That is the gospel. And it isn't enough just to pray about it. It isn't enough just to act a certain way. We have to say it. Now let me say that again. It isn't enough just to pray about it. It isn't enough just to act or live a certain way. We have to say it if we're really concerned. There's a popular um, saying in Christianity that's gone around for years, and it says this, preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. How many of you have ever heard that saying before? Many of us. There's a part of it that I like. It points to the fact that how we live matters. But the part I don't like is when necessary, use words. I don't know anyone who has ever been saved without hearing about Jesus. I don't know anyone who has ever been saved who hasn't learned of sin, Jesus' death and resurrection, and learned the gospel. And the only way we can communicate it is through words. You're not going to communicate it by opening the door for somebody and smiling at them. You're not going to communicate the gospel by saying, God bless you. You're not going to communicate the gospel by telling someone you're going to pray for them. The only way you can communicate the gospel is by saying it. And so here's the question. Do we have enough concern for the lost to actually step out and speak and say the words that we need to say? You might today be wondering, well, if I did that, you know, what would I say? You know what? I, I really don't know what to say. Let me encourage you in two ways with that. First of all, go back up and remember when we were talking about praying that God would give you boldness and be able to step out. There are many times that, and you can talk to other people in this room, I guarantee you it's happened to several people in this room, many people maybe, that you begin to just step out in faith and talk about the Lord, and you look back on a certain conversation, and you're like, where'd that come from? You know, I, I didn't really know what I was going to say, but that didn't, that didn't go too bad. Or, I, you know, I never really thought about that, but somehow I remembered what I learned in my third grade Sunday school class, and that was 50 years ago. 
You know, like God just brings things to mind through the Holy Spirit working within us and through us that he can give us boldness and confidence, give us the words to say even when we can't find them ourselves. But secondly, let me encourage you with this. If you're worried about what would I say, if you've experienced the salvation of Jesus, if you know the story of what Jesus did for you and, and his death and resurrection and how he saved you, all you got to do is share that story. All you got to do is share what Jesus did for you because he can do the same thing for somebody else. Christianity, as we think about our walks with the Lord, Christianity is about having a personal faith in God, not a private faith in God. We are called to speak the gospel. Your friend needs you to tell them. Your spouse needs you to tell them. Your child, your grandchild needs you to tell them. Your coworker needs you to tell them. A lost and dying world needs us to tell them. And so here's the question today. Are we concerned enough to do something about this? An effective church is a concerned church, and we're going to show our concern by, yes, praying about it, by living in a way that honors the Lord, but we're going to show our concern by speaking about it as well. Today, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that the reason we gather together, the reason we talk about things like this, is because God loves you. And in fact, the Bible tells us that God proved his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, and that while you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, God died for us. And he's forgiven us of that sin if we repent and trust in Jesus. That is the gospel message. And so today, if you don't have a relationship with God, you can today by trusting in Jesus as your Savior. In just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of commitment. I'm going to be standing down front. And if you would like to talk more about what it means to be a Christian, I would love to talk to you, uh, pray with you down front. I, I would love to speak with you after service or, or whenever. Listen, you need to know for sure that you're saved. But I want to talk to the church for just a moment. Again, are you really concerned about the lost? Are you truly concerned with the lost? I want you to bow your heads where you are today. And as you reflect on your own heart, I'm going to do something a little bit different. And I know I've done some different stuff the last three or four weeks, but I want you to think about what do you need to change to become more effective for the kingdom of God? If you're in here today with every head bowed and you would say, you know, as I reflect on, on my own prayer life, I realize that I need to to pray more for the lost. I realize that I need to pray more for my boldness. If that's you today and you want to commit that to the Lord, I want you to just slip your hand up where you are and say, I need to pray more. I need to be, you know, different in my prayer life. Now, the reason I ask you to raise your hand is because it takes a little bit more of a step of commitment to say, yes, I, I would admit these things. Maybe as you think about your own life, living wisely among outsiders. Would you say this morning by raising your hand, you know, I need to think a little bit more about how I'm living around, especially around people who aren't saved. If that be you, just raise your hand up and say, you know, I, I need to, to be a little bit more wise in that. 
And I want to commit to the Lord this, this morning that I, I'm going to be living to try to do that. As you think about your own speech, maybe there are some in this room today who have lived quite some time here on this earth and you've never shared the gospel with someone. Maybe there's somebody here today who maybe used to share it years ago, but you haven't in quite some time, and you say, you know, it's time for me to, to think a little bit more about what I say and being proactive with sharing the gospel. If that be you, would you raise your hand and say, you know, I, I want to say I, I need to think more about sharing the gospel. Now listen, I know many hands have gone up about different things today. I know some of us, maybe feel like we should have raised our hands, we were a little bit nervous about it. or you know, I, I, The truth is, all of us have room to grow in all three of these areas. And so in just a moment, as we begin to sing, if you want to commit yourselves to do these things, I'm going to encourage you to come forward and pray to the Lord, confess these things to Him, ask Him to move in your heart. Again, there's nothing necessarily magical about coming up front, but it shows our humility and our seriousness about what we're committing to do. So if you need to come forward and, and pray when we begin singing, I want to invite you to do that again. Let, we want to be a praying church. But maybe you're here today and you need to be saved or you need to talk about baptism or some other public decision. I would love to talk to you about that during that time as well. Let's pray and then we'll move in our time of commitment. Father, as we think about your word today, we know that we're to live in a way that shows concern for the lost around us. Lord, we're sitting here today thankful that someone before us showed that concern to us. And so, Lord, help us to be people that show our concern toward others. Lord, we know that without Jesus, people are headed for hell, but we also know the good news and that it's for anyone and everyone and so, Lord, help us to pray like that, to live like that, to speak like that. During this time of invitation, Lord, this time of commitment, help us to commit our hearts to do what you want us to do. Help us to be people of, of prayer, of confession. And, Lord, help us to leave here changed because of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.